everything that Jesus has done for them. Trusting in that truth, believing that, understanding that, Paul says, in the Christian's life bears fruit. And the particular fruit that he says in those opening verses is the fruit of godliness. Godliness flows out of what it is we believe about who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Like this is an important part of this letter, seeing that Paul is pressing them back to the gospel because how we live flows out of what we believe about the gospel. So there were some threats to the gospel, and Paul has called on Titus to confront false teachers in the church who were leading people away from the gospel. Um, he's told Titus to appoint elders, elders who would uh, both confront uh, and rebuke the false teachers, but also who would teach and lead uh, the church there on the island. He called on the body even, and we talked about this, the body of believers to teach one another and to encourage one another in the gospel, to guard one another from being led astray or led away from the gospel. Older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger women. We saw last week in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, that the reason for all of this, Paul starts with this, and then in the middle of the letter, he goes back to it. The reason for, for all of this, everything that he's talked about, is the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Um, the gospel really does change everything, and that's what we see coming from the Apostle Paul. Remember in chapter 2, verse 11, right? Paul has been saying up to this point, do this, do this, do that, don't do this, teach this, live this way, family. And then in verse 11, he says, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Right, again, how we live, and we see it here, flows out of the gospel. It, it flows out of our faith and our belief, our knowledge, and our understanding of, of, of what God has done for us and who he has made us to be. He has brought us salvation, and he is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us. He's showing us. He's instructing us on how it is, Paul is saying, that we are, are meant to live, training us. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and pursuits, calling us to live like Jesus, to live self-controlled lives, he says, upright lives, godly lives. Why? Why? Because Jesus has appeared. Why? Because Jesus has appeared and, and he's, he's saved us, right? But, 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 but more than just saving us from the penalty of sin, he, he has redeemed us from that, but he has redeemed us to our Father. He's redeemed us to God. He's redeemed us to a life of purity and, and, and holiness. The purity and holiness that we were created to live for. Like this is who we were created to be. I loved, and we've said that several times in this 
uh, series, right? That really what, what we are being called to is the life that we were created to live. And I love that Jeff touched on that over the weekend because what, what he said was like, this is the place of true joy and satisfaction. Not living however we want to live. The place of our true joy and satisfaction, the place of our true fulfillment is when we live the life that we were created to live. And so this call to lives of purity and and holiness and righteousness and walking with Jesus isn't a call to just do more things and to do them better. It is a call that ultimately ends in your joy, your greatest joy, your greatest satisfaction, your greatest fulfillment. Declare these things, Titus, the Apostle Paul writes, exhort and rebuke in the truths of the gospel. Help them see, help them see that how they live together in the church flows out of what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. From there, This is what happens. This is why I'm going through all of this with you now. See, because in our Bible, when we read these verses or even when we study them together, we have this break, like maybe it's a paragraph break, in this case, a chapter break. And if we're reading our Bible, there's probably some headline there. That's not what was happening here. This was a letter. And and he just rolls from that right into the next section, right? And so I want to make sure that we see all of this as we come to this this new section. And what what he does rolling into chapter 3 is he continues to show how it is that the gospel transforms us and how we should live together in light of the gospel. But now instead of just living together in light of the gospel in the church, right, encouraging one another, helping one another, teaching one another, now he's going to talk about a believer's life in the world. And the gospel transforms us, and and it changes how we live together with those outside of the church, believer's life in the world, chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to to be gentle, to show Uh, perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become the heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we ended chapter 2 with Paul's instruction, declare, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. And then we roll into chapter 3, continue teaching these things, declaring the things, not that I've already told you to, but to, to, to continue to declare these things as well. 
And it's obvious in what we read that Paul is shifting gears now outward from life in the family, you know, us knowing the gospel, helping one another in the gospel. He's shifting gears and, and, and pointing outward and saying, here is what it looks like to live as a people shaped by the gospel in a, in a world that does not believe the gospel, in a broken and fallen unredeemed world. Remind them to be submissive to government authorities. Remind them to be submissive to government authorities. That's who Paul is talking about when it comes to rulers and authorities. Primarily, he's talking about the government authorities, police, fire, mayors, uh, governors, senators, presidents, all of them. Paul wrote in Romans uh, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Listen to this. For or because there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, I want to address a few things here quickly. One is the limit of our submission to government authorities is is what is right in the eyes of God or what is morally right. When the government authorities begin to to, to move us personally, like our own personal life, to do something that is immoral, something that goes against the word of God and the wishes of God, then, then we don't subject ourselves to government authorities. I want to be super duper clear on this. Your personal life. He's not talking, Paul is not saying when the government begins to, to, to do things that, that are not in keeping with God, then, then you respond this way or don't submit. He's saying you submit to government authorities until it is an invasion in your personal life of obeying and following Jesus. Am I making sense? Because the government is going to have a lot of rules and a lot of things that are not godly. But if it doesn't affect our personal lives, if they are not calling you to go and have an abortion, if they are not calling you personally to go and do this thing or that thing, And what Paul is saying is, submit to the government, submit to the authorities, submit to them because God has put them in place. And this is the the, the most important part of this. God has sovereignly put government in place. It is God who raises up nations and God who brings them down. Do you hear me? Do you believe that? Three of you do? It is God who raises up nations and God who brings them down. So when we, when we submit to governing authorities, as long as they are not calling on me to personally go against the will of God in my personal life, when I submit to governing authorities, I am submitting to God and say, even if I don't like it, God, I don't like this, but you are the one who raises up nations and you are the one who brings down nations and I will trust you. 
I will trust you in this president. It's an election year. Right? That's why I'm talking about this. Because things are going to get heated up. And we're going to want to fight over Republican or Democrat or this person or that person. And I am telling you, don't do it. What I am telling you is to trust God. Vote your conscience. Support the person that you want to support. And do it by faith, Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you really want to please God, trust him in the government authorities. Trust him. Here's the thing about this. Our, our faith is in the sovereign God who raises up nations and brings them down. Our faith is in the truth that God is all wise, like he is, he is perfectly wise. He, he, he knows all things. He knows what he's doing. Right? We, we, we trust that this is our God. When we, when we don't get all wrapped up in politics and crazy about politics, when we submit to our governing authorities like we've talked about, we, we are trusting in our sovereign God, our God who is also good. He is in control. He is good. He is always right. I need to say that again. He is always right. God did not mess up. <laughs> it's hard to say. God did not mess up when Trump was elected. God did not mess up when Biden was elected. And God is not going to mess up if this thing comes down to those two guys again. God does not mess up. He knows what he is doing, and he is always right, and he is always righteous. And we can count on his love and his provision and his goodness toward his people. And so that's what I am, that's why I wanted to stop and spend a minute here. Because the Lord has given us this at this time and an election year for me to say this again. When we are all upset and hurt and angry or whatever over politics, what it really speaks to is, is, is our faith in God. And when we get all worked up over politics, and I've been there, when we get all worked up over politics, what we are saying is God is not in control and I have to be in control. And so I'm going to yell and scream and shout about this until y'all agree with me on my position so that I can be right and have what I think is right. Because God does not have this under control. It not only speaks that to us like ourselves, or to one another, but it speaks it to all of our friends and family and co-workers. It tells every one of them that we don't trust God. Trust God. Be submissive to government authorities. Obey unless it is immoral in the sight of God. Are we together? Amen? We're going to do our best, Lord. Second thing he says is be, uh, to remind them to be ready for every good work. 
Um, because this comes in a section where Paul has shifted gears, y'all, y'all, I want you to hear me on this. Because it comes in a section where Paul has shifted gears to where he is now talking about life outside of this family, what Paul is talking about is serving our community. We should be ready for, for every good work, not just inside the body, like we should serve one another because we're family, but he's also saying that because we are shaped into the image of Jesus, who is a servant, like he's not just a servant here, but not here, he's a servant everywhere. And so what Paul is saying is that we should be ready to serve our neighbor. We should be ready to serve our neighborhood. We should be ready for every good work in our city. We, we, are, we are called, shaped into the image of Jesus, to be servants and, and serving wherever, wherever we are. Why? Because he has redeemed you to good works. He has redeemed you and called you to be zealous in doing good works. This isn't a checklist, okay? It's not a, a checklist of, man, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. It's just living in who God has made us to be in Christ. It's looking for opportunities around us to live as Christ did when he was here. It is living in the reality that if God has made us servants in in the image of Jesus who is a servant, what do servants do? Yeah, that is how simple it is. That is how simple it is. So be ready, be ready. MCs, right? Like, MCs, missional communities, that's our small groups that meet in homes uh, all over the place, all over the city, all the different days of the week that you meet. MCs, be ready for good works in your neighborhood. Do this together. Be ready for good works in our, in our city. Be ready, guys, where you work to serve the people around you. Remind them to speak evil of no one. How do we live in this broken, fallen world? Remind them, Titus, to speak evil of no one. Do not speak evil of people. Do I need to explain that one? I just don't talk bad about people. It, it too, is that simple. Your mom was right. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have anything good to say, what? Don't say anything. Listen to your mom. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Right? Speak evil of no one. Remind them to avoid quarreling. Like, just don't be argumentative. Don't fight with others. Now, again, Paul is writing about us being Christians who live in a broken world. Um, Like, don't, don't fight with people who aren't Christians. Don't quarrel. Our expectation for people who are not believers should not be that they live and think and do the same things that we, we do. Like, we should not expect a lost and broken and fallen world to have any desire to do what is right in the eyes of God. They don't value the things that we should value. Don't, don't argue with them. Don't, don't be argumentative with them. They're they're lost. Don't be argumentative. Don't be, don't be quarreling with them. Homer Kent wrote this, those who are quarrelsome and contentious with their neighbors 
are poor citizens and poor witnesses of Christ. Amen. Remind them to be gentle. Remind them to show perfect courtesy to all people. The idea of these two would be that we are gentle toward others because of the humility that we have in ourselves. We are gentle toward others. We are gentle toward others. We act humbly. We, we, we consider others more highly than ourselves. How do we live in a broken, fallen world? Humbly. We consider others more highly than ourselves. We stand ready. Listen, everybody listen to me on this one. We stand ready to yield our, our rights for the, for the good of others. Yeah, but this is our right. Yield it. Yield it in love for someone else. Yield it because you consider them more highly than you consider yourselves. Yield it because, because you are a, a, a humble person who just lives that way. Who does this all sound like? That is the correct answer. Let's say that together. Who does this all sound like? Chelsea? Yes! Yes! Chelsea is uh, in my missional community, and she always does that for us. Jesus. This, this is Jesus. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not res resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Like, give him whatever else you got. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Live like Jesus. I, I, I think that's what Paul is saying in all of this. Live like Jesus. He has shown you how to live in the world by his own life. Live like that. He has taught you in, in, in the word of God through his teaching of the disciples. He has taught us how to live in the world as believers. That's what this is. And then Paul makes this contrast. He, he, he said, this is how you live in the world right now as believers. Treat people like this. Treat people like Jesus did. And then in verse 3, he says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is who we were. This is who you were. I want to make this clear because a lot of times we come to a passage like this and we, 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 we see these words like, like, like foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and, and, and hated and hating. And we, we do the us-them. Right? 
That's them. That's the world. See, I mean, I've probably preached it before. Lord, forgive me. I hope not here at New City. I've probably done some sermon on that. I've certainly heard sermons on that where we make it an us-them thing and we are comparing ourselves to them. That's not us anymore. That's the way they are. Foolish. I want to make it really clear. Paul is not making a contrast of us and them. He's making a, a, a comparison and a contrast of us and us. This is you. This is you. Paul's not bashing unbelievers. He's really not bashing anybody. He's saying this is who we were. This is who we were. We were spiritually foolish. This doesn't mean that we were dumb or or that anyone is dumb or lacks any intelligence or wisdom. That's not what Paul is saying at all. What, what, What Paul means is that we were once a people who lacked spiritual understanding. We did not understand God. We did not understand the ways of God. And so like others in the world, we were moved here and there by our culture, by the gods of our world. That was us. We had no spiritual understanding. That's who we were. So when it comes to how we live with people in the world, people who are going to disagree with us, people who who may bash us, people who don't like us because of our belief, we should remember that we one time lacked the spiritual understanding that the Holy Spirit now gives us. Amen? We were disobedient, Paul says. Hey, that was us. You see the world out there that's disobedient? Listen to me. That's you. We were once disobedient. Now let me pause right here because we still are. Amen? (laughs) I mean, it's best that we just confess it. We are still disobedient. We still struggle with doing what is right. Paul is just saying, remember at one time that that, 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 was, that was you. That was you. you. You had no desire to follow God. At some point in your life, that was you. You didn't care what God said. You, you were fine to disobey because who is this God that makes these rules? That, that was you. We were led astray. And to the church of Crete, Paul was saying, hey, right now you're listening to me and you're listening to Titus, but there was, a, there was a time when you were being led away from the truth. You were being led into and believing all kinds of, of, of lies. You, you were led astray worshiping the gods of Rome and the gods of Greece. That was you one day. That was you led astray from the truth of who God is and, and what he has done. That, that was you, New City Church. And sometimes we're still led astray by our, our culture, and we're still led astray by the gods of our world. And we still pursue those gods thinking they will bring us joy and happiness and satisfaction. We are led astray by the, the, the gods of politics and the gods of money and power and children and a thousand other things, including ourselves. That's us. 
We were enslaved to our passions, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Paul said. You didn't pursue Jesus. You didn't follow Jesus. You you didn't look out for the good of others. Uh, you, You spent your life pursuing your own worldly and sensual pleasures and passions. And you were never satisfied. You were never satisfied. Passing our days in malice and envy. Malice means evil or intending evil, doing what is evil. It's possible that Paul is making a connection here um, where he is saying that we, we pursue these passions and, and pleasures um, and, and we are never satisfied because we never have enough. Whatever the passion is, whatever the pleasure is, the truth is God created us in such a way that it will never be enough because the only thing that will satisfy us is him. And we looked around as we pursued our passions and our pleasures and we were envious. We were envious, always envious, looking at others and what they had. We were haters, he said. We were haters, uh, 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 and we were hated. I think that's the idea here behind Paul's words, hated by others and hating one another. That was us, angry, angry people, bitter people. We hated others around us, and we were in a world. That was our world, a world of hate. I'm telling you, watch this one in a few months as the politics heat up if you think we're not in a world of hate. That's who we were. That's who we were. That was us, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, but God. That was you, but God. Remind them, Titus. This is who you were, but God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become the heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That was you, believer, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy, hated by others in a world of hate. You were filled with hate. But then the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and he saved you. Who is Paul referring to? Chelsea? Jesus. Jesus is the goodness and the loving kindness of God sent to us. You were that, but then Jesus came and and, and he pursued you. Jesus came and he pursued you. A foolish sinner pursuing all of the wrong things with no desire to follow God. Jesus pursued you when that was you, and he saved you. 
Follow Paul. He saved you, a foolish, disobedient sinner, led astray, a slave to your passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. He saved you not by your good works, not by anything that you ever did, but because he is full of mercy. His Holy Spirit came to you, filthy sinner, no desire to follow God. His Holy Spirit came to you by his grace and mercy, by his loving kindness. And his Holy Spirit washed you clean. And he gave you life. And he softened your heart so that you would hear the good news of the gospel and and gladly and joyfully receive it. He opened your eyes. So this time when you hear who Jesus is and what he has done, when you hear how glorious he is, your eyes are open to his beauty. And now you see him as he truly is. He came to you when you couldn't hear a word anybody said about God. And the Holy Spirit opened your ears so this time you would hear the gospel and believe. Richly, richly, he lavished us with his Holy Spirit through Jesus. Jesus, who justified you by his grace. He justified you by his grace. He he made you right in the eyes of God when you were that foolish sinner who cared nothing about God. He did this for you. And, 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 And he made you a son and a daughter, sons and daughters of the Most High God. He did this for you while you were pursuing your own pleasures Filled with envy and hate. He came to you and he did this. And he gave you a hope, a hope not just for here and now, but forevermore with him. Forevermore, forevermore with him as life is meant to be. A hope that one day all of this brokenness will be fixed. Now, now listen to me and, and please don't forget this. This is the gospel in you. This is the the beauty and the good news of, of the gospel. You were spiritually foolish, disobedient, pursuing your passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy. You hated and, and you were hated. And while you were all of that and more, trust me, you were more. I was more. We were more. We were worse than even that. While we were that, God came. In the flesh of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came for you. He came for you. He came pursuing you, a sinner. And he, and he, and he saved you. He saved you, not, not because, because as you lived in this world, you suddenly woke up on your own and said, you know what, I can be a better person. I can get my life together. I can do better things. I'm going to do better things. He, he didn't look and see, oh, look, Scotty's doing great things. I think maybe I'll save him now. 
Mikey's got, Mikey's got potential. I think I'll save him now. While we were yet sinners, disobedient and pursuing all of that he pursued us. While we were foolish and disobedient enemies with God, he came for us. He came according to his mercy. He acted merciful with you. He showed his goodness toward you. He richly blessed you, not because you earned it. He richly blessed you because he is gracious. Now, these words don't appear in the text, but I think they're there nonetheless, and I know they're true from other passages. While you were pursuing your passions and pleasures and passing your days with malice and envy, just like me, unsatisfied and always seeking more, he was kind to you. He was gentle with you. He was patient with you. He was forgiving. When we look at his life, we see that he was, Jesus, submissive to rulers and authorities. He was obedient, humbling himself, we read, even to death, death on the cross. We, we, we see in the gospel accounts of, of, of the life of Jesus that he was always ready for every good work. Even when people interrupted Jesus trying to rest, trying to sleep, trying to get something to eat, he was always being interrupted in his life. And, and there he was ready, ready to do those good works, gentle. And, and here's the thing. If you've, if you've never noticed, Jesus was the, the most gentle with tax gatherers and sinners. He was the most gentle with those who were far from the Father. He was gentle with you. What I, what I want us to see in this is that, 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 that Paul isn't making this comparison of us and them out there. Paul is reminding us that something absolutely mind-blowing has taken place. And we should not take for granted what God has done. The grace of God has appeared. The goodness and loving kindness of God came for us and he saved us. You want to know what a miracle is? A miracle is you if you're a believer. A miracle is that you now see and believe. A miracle is that you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and now you were made alive in Christ. The grace of God has appeared. The, the, the goodness and loving kindness of God has come for us and saved us. And in his coming, we see the character and nature of God, and we see the human being that we were meant to be. The image that we are being shaped into, the image of Jesus. This isn't a, a, a checklist of do's and don'ts as much as it is Paul saying, remember, 
right? Remind them, Titus. Remind them that this is how they are supposed to live, but remind them, Titus, of who they used to be. Remind them of who they were until the loving kindness of God came for them. Remind them of the miracle that they have been made new. You are not the person that you used to be. Live like it. Live with those who are far from God as he has lived with you. Right? So so I want to bring it back to the context that we have here. How do we live with a broken and fallen world? How do we live with the people around us who don't think like us, who don't value the things that we value? How do we live in in, in an ever more and more growing less and less Christian country? How do we live in this post-Christian world that we are in? How do we live with those outside of us? Do we we run from them? Do we build walls around our church and say, nope, we can't have anything to do with them? Do we blend in with them and just look exactly like them? No, 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 no to either one of those. We live in our broken and fallen world just as God has lived with us. Do you see that? Just as Jesus came for us, treat them, treat them outside of the family, inside of the family, right? Treat them as he has treated you, as he was gracious toward you, a broken and lost sinner. You be gracious to others. Be loving and kind as he has been loving and kind to you. Be good toward them as he has shown incredible goodness toward you be merciful as he has been merciful bless bless as you have been blessed by him don't speak an ill word of the people around you in their brokenness don't speak ill of them don't quarrel and don't fight be gentle and gracious abounding 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 in good works Because this is the image of Jesus. Because this is the loving kindness of the Father. This is the good news of the gospel. Are you with me? This is how God was to you, and this is how God is to you even today. In New City, when we talk about living in light of the gospel, this is exactly what it means. This is living in light of the gospel. Live that way with those who are far from your father. Live that way because you see and understand. I'm going back now to verses 1 through 3. Live that way. This is the godliness that flows out of our life when we know and understand and believe the gospel. Do you hear me? Man, when you see how much you are loved and and that was you, when when you were a person filled with hate and hatred, when you were a person pursuing all of your own wishes and desires, when you did not care what was right and what was wrong, and yet God loved you, when you can see yourself that way and see his beautiful love for you, it's so much easier 
to love the people around you. When you see his patience, it is so much easier to be patient. This, this is life in light of the gospel. This, this is living a, a, a life that truly believes. This is verses 1 through 3. Growing deeply in, 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 in our knowledge of the truth of the gospel. Believing it. Clinging to it. Trusting it. And the beautiful overflow of a life that understands this gospel and believes this gospel. The fruit of that life is godliness. The fruit of that faith is a life of godliness. So, I say this often. Like, what do we leave doing today? I don't want you to leave here with a list of do's and don'ts. I don't want you to leave here with a checklist of, man, the pastor said, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Here's what I want you to leave with. I want you to leave with a, a, a picture of how beautiful the gospel is. I want you to leave with a, a deeper understanding of the beauty of Jesus and, and what he has done for you. I want you to grow in your knowledge and your faith, deep personal knowledge and faith in the truth of the gospel. And if you will do that, your life will bear the fruit of godliness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have reminded me again Not just of who I was, but who I, who I am as the sin nature still battles the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your, your loving kindness, for being so gentle, kind, caring. Father, I pray that you would help me to remember this. Holy Spirit, remind me of this. Remind us of this. I pray that our, our, our knowledge and understanding of the gospel would grow deeper and deeper and deeper so that we could see how beautiful it is and that our lives would be shaped by that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.